The secret to well-being is discovering the power that is your birthright, the power to create a happier, healthier life drawn from our own vast internal resources. Join Jules and her guests as they gently guide you to shift your perspective from the familiar negative to the divinely connected, a place that will not only positively impact your world, but possibly shift the planet. It's all right here on Law of Attraction Talk Radio. Well, welcome to Law of Attraction Talk Radio. I'm Jules from beautiful Palm Springs, California. Oh, I just love the show today because I have one of my favorite people with me tonight. Anita Morjani, who wrote the book Dying to Be Me, is back with us. This best-selling author toured with Dr. Wayne Dyer, and she has got another great book that I want you to know about. You know, as I mentioned last week, the planet is undergoing a huge dramatic shift and it's so powerful that it will impact everyone's lives. Last week, I just went under a huge change of thinking and it totally shifted me. It wasn't a pleasant experience, but it was so necessary to jumpstart my new way of thinking. Everything that is happening right now is for a reason. If you feel alone, misunderstood, irritated, or just sick and tired of the way your life is going, well, (laughs) join the club. At this point in time, we are all asking, is it really worth it? Is this it? I go to work, I come home, I go to sleep. Wait, why do I feel like something is missing? Well, this is the time that we are experiencing some amazing inner transformation because quite truthfully, our DNA is changing. And this has been scientifically documented. Even Russian scientists are showing that many different strands of DNA within us come from another race, from perhaps another planet. The truth is, we're not the same race as we were even 100 years ago. This shift is happening so fast that it's actually a full-time job just absorbing the confusing energies. Many people are saying, okay, well, now's the time to stay in love. Don't bend to the emotions. Well, having gone through what I went through last week, I can say, well, it's damn hard to stay in love when this shift is occurring. (laughs) You're supposed to feel the emotions so that they can come up and then be released. I just say all this to calm down your fears that these highly emotional times are simply temporary. And they are extremely necessary. Abraham Hicks says that we should just turn the boat downstream and float. And that's great advice. When you feel that your emotions are highly energized, then simply make a decision to just let go. The shift that is occurring is telling us to just let go, surrender, and trust that everything will work out perfectly. Feel the feelings and then just let it go. Now let's talk about this shift. We are learning that we're all powerful beings, able to create all we need to thrive in our life. We are learning that we are free and it's only our thoughts that keep us in bondage 
No one has power over us. Not a religion, not education, not a government, not medicine, not even a spouse or a child. We are learning that money is not a higher power. It's simply energy. We are learning that we can no longer believe what other people say because right now we are going by our gut response, our intuition. We are learning how to strengthen our connection to the universe by decalcifying our pineal gland, our third eye. We are learning that this shift has less to do with the individual me and more of the collective consciousness of we. Another way to look at the shift is to know that the collective consciousness is like a virtual voting machine in the universe. The collective thought of the masses will create the change that meets the demand of our new DNA. And what is this collective consciousness thinking, you ask? <laughs> well, intuitively, it is picking up that every human on the planet wants to have good food to eat, clean water to drink, fresh air to breathe, safety for our children to grow up and play, mutual respect and dignity, and a continuation of our spiritual expansion. The exact place we are right now is that this voting machine in the universe can also be rigged. <laughs> Believe it or not, it can be rigged. What you see in the mainstream media that is owned by a few is allowing many to think that they are powerless victims. And this is exactly what starts the violence. This is the mindset that slows down the powerful shift that is occurring. Remember the Christmas story with Jimmy Stewart and that every time a bell rang, an angel would get their wings? Well, the same sentiment rings true here. For every person that takes their power back, they get their connection to this infinite creative energy which is just like getting your wings to soar. We want the collective consciousness to become sovereign in the best interests of all humans, animals, plants, and Mother Earth as well. We don't want to be manipulated into thinking that we're powerless, that we have to play by government's rules or the bank's rules, or that we must color inside the lines. Now bring it all down to the minute level and here you can see it being played out in our election cycle. Truth is, whoever gets elected is so unimportant. It's so much more important to shift the collective consciousness into taking our power back, bringing peace and abundance and well-being to all. This collective consciousness is now reflected around the world through the political uprisings. And what we are witnessing is proof positive that the collective consciousness is wanting to take back the individual power back into the spiritual connection to the living planet. This is what I am seeing that is occurring worldwide. It's a beautiful thing to witness and we are headed 
in that direction. So just stay with it. Know that everything is working out to perfection. We are on our way to the golden age of prosperity, abundance, and well-being for all humans on the planet. And that's a good place to take a fast commercial break, and we will be right back with my special, special guest, Anita Morjani. Did you know that every human uses only a small portion of their powerful mind? Jules Johnson, International Certified Hypnotherapist, wants to introduce you to your powerful mind in order to create your dream life. In as little as one session, Jules guides you into releasing limiting beliefs that keep you from achieving wealth, health, better relationships, and even true love. Schedule a session in Palm Springs or set up a Skype video session for those nationally and internationally. Jules would love to serve as your guide into living your dreams. Go to creativeguidedimagery.com or call 951-201-2166. That's creativeguidedimagery.com. Well, welcome back, Anita Morjani, to Law of Attraction Talk Radio. I am so glad to talk to you again. It's been so long. Oh, thank you. I'm so delighted to be here and to catch up with you. Because, yes, I do think it's been at least three years, maybe three and a half, close to four. Yes. It's been a long time since we've actually spoken. And you have got new books and new meditations. The last one, I think, is Deep Meditation for Healing, MP3. Yes. So, so that's the older meditation CDs, the Deep Meditation for Healing. We also have a new meditation CD that's coming out in maybe uh, also in September, probably between, between two to four weeks it should be out. Um, it'll probably be out sooner as a downloadable and maybe a couple of weeks later as an actual CD which you can order and have delivered to you. So. Um, so that, I'm excited about that meditation CD because it's aligned with my new book, What If This Is Heaven. Um, the CD is called Heaven, An Experiential Journey. Ooh. Yeah, and um, so in my book, What If This Is Heaven, which I'll talk about, I'm sure, during this conversation, there's, ch uh, there's 10 chapters in my book, and this time... This book is a little more provocative. I know the first book was quite provocative for people who had never heard of a lot of the things that I talked about. So this book is also provocative, but in a slightly, in a different way. It is a little controversial because I do touch on things like gender disparity. Um, I have touched on things like, you know, like um, abortions being illegal when actually it affects women and what about young girls who are raped and so you know I touch on a wow. lot of things that could be provocative controversial and I give it the take from the NDE perspective from the fourth dimension perspective how it all is in the state of where people think we're going to be judged for things and so basically wow. that's really what the book is, is about and every chapter is standalone and and talks about a different thing. And so you could 
finish reading a chapter and, and the new chapter is like a fresh story, like a fresh point. Um, and so the meditation CD is also 10 short meditations, you know, six to seven minutes long each. And each meditation correlates to each chapter in the book. So although you could use the meditation CD on its own, you never have to have read the book because it's a guided meditation. But basically, it's a meditation where I heal within the person. Um, I mean, I don't heal. I, I don't like saying that. But the guidance is to help the person heal whatever's going through them in, internally in the subject of whatever that chapter is. So, you know, it could be a physical healing. It could be a spiritual healing. So each meditation in that CD is, serves a different purpose. And they are short six, seven-minute meditations. Oh, that sounds fabulous. So the title of your newest book is What If This Is Heaven? How Are Cultural Myths Prevent Us From Experiencing Heaven on Earth? Wow, I love this. It's so powerful. So explain the cultural myth. Because I remember in your wonderful book, Dying to Be Me, the cultural myth is what had you out of alignment health-wise and actually directed a lot of anger towards yourself and unforgiveness as well. Yes. So let me, and I love that question because I love explaining this. So originally when I started writing the second book, the working title was what if this is heaven? And the subtitle was, if it is, then why does it sometimes feel like hell? Oh, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's appropriate. <laughs> yeah, because, because I knew a lot of people were going to push back and say, and say that, um, what do you mean, what if this is heaven? It sure doesn't feel like it. <laughs> because I, I know from the letters I received that people are still suffering and they still want answers to questions and they're still in pain and they're hurting and that is the reason I wrote this book is because of all the letters that I get and it's the people who write into me they or you you know like I'm, if I'm, I'm and for the listeners who are listening to this all of you are the inspiration behind the second book because when I wrote the first one I thought I've written my story but I realized that people wanted to understand more behind what I was saying. And so to give you some examples, um, in my first book, I wrote about things that go against what people normally believe. Um, like, for example, most spiritual teachers say that you have to transcend the ego, or the ego is your enemy, and the ego is what gets in the way of spirituality. In my first book, I actually said we have to embrace the ego. It's a part of who we are. In this second book, I go deeper into what I mean by saying that, and I teach uh, or I explain how to embrace the ego and how and why the ego is a problem when we reject it and how it keeps rearing its head and how ego, like somebody with an overinflated ego, is the result of lack of self-love. And the more we love ourselves, and the more we accept every part of ourselves, including our egos, then the less the ego is a problem, but we realize our ego is our friend. So I explain that in great detail in this second book. 
And that's the information from the fourth dimension that you brought back with you from your near-death experience. It's from the fourth dimension, exactly. It's not where, when I say fourth dimension, and I don't mean it to sound like really out there or woo-woo, but what I mean is when I was in that NDE realm, when I was in that death state and looked back on my life and saw how I could have done it differently, I realized that my spiritual teachings, and this is the thing, I was immersed in spirituality coming from the East, coming from mm -hmm. India and living in China. I was immersed in Hinduism and Taoism and Buddhism. So, um, so I'm not telling people um, that everything in, like embrace everything in spirituality. I'm telling people embrace who you are and use all these other things as tools. It's not about trying to be more spiritual. It's about being who you are because you already are spiritual. And that was really what my first book is about. But people wanted to understand more because people are embraced. I, I mean, they're taught like we're taught, even if whether we follow religions or whether we follow spirituality, there was a whole phase where people went through um, feeling that forgiveness is really important. I have to forgive everyone. I have to forgive myself. And maybe I'm getting sick because I'm holding on to, um, to anger and I'm not forgiving people. When I was in the other realm, I realized that we are actually in a state that is beyond forgiveness. In this realm, even forgiving someone is, um, it means that you have judged them to be wrong and so you want to be the bigger person to forgive them or you want to release yourself from the hold that the anger has on you and therefore you want to forgive them. But you can actually even transcend that because empathy, compassion, oneness, knowing what the other person is feeling, you realize if I walked in their shoes, I probably would have done the same. There's nothing to forgive because everything they did they did from their own pain, from their own journey, from their own limited um, beliefs of the layers of beliefs and, and um, filters that they've accumulated over this lifetime. And these were the only options offered to them from their own mind because of the buildup of things that happened to them. You know, they may have been abused, whatever. So when you can see through all that, through the cultural beliefs and their limitations, you realize, oh my God, they're doing the best they can. There's nothing to actually forgive when you, when you truly understand who a person is. And when you realize there's nothing to forgive, what happens is that even that other person senses that in you and their defenses drop. Mm. So it's taking it to a whole other realm. And that's what I mean when I say, what if this is heaven? It's an invitation to you, to anyone, to the reader, to live from that place, from that heavenly, heavenly realm, from looking at the world through those eyes. That's what this book tries to do. Oh, I love this. And I love how you put it. Forgiveness is a form of judgment. There is no reason to forgive because if you're forgiving, you are judging what they did is being right or wrong. Wow, that really makes a person think. <laughs> That's amazing. I never thought of it like that before. 
yeah, and that's kind of what I talk about in the other in in this book, and that's and I speak about judgment, uh, like our belief of judgment is another cultural myth when we believe we're going to be judged when we die, and because we believe that, it gives us permission to judge people who do things that are wrong in our eyes, wrong compared to what we have been taught is right and wrong. So when you were experiencing your near-death experience, you didn't feel judged. You just felt loved? I felt loved. I felt empathy, compassion, and completely understood, completely safe, so safe that I was able to look at myself and look at everything I'd done and understand why I had done it and understand how I could have done it differently so that it would be better for me and better for the people around me. And after you came back from having your near-death experience, you totally changed your life. Yes, completely different. Because one of the things that I understood in that realm, that the most important thing, the most, most important thing in life is love. That is really the solution to every problem we have in the world. And I realized that if I didn't love myself, so um, if I put it this way, um, if I didn't love myself, then the, the, the void that's created within me by not filling me with love, that void gets filled with fear. And it's pretty much the same way that we say where there is no light, there is darkness, because darkness is the lack of light. It's not a thing. Darkness is not a thing. Darkness is the absence of light. The same way fear is the absence of love. So if we don't actively fill ourselves with love, then we are bringing a fearful person wherever we go. We're taking a fearful person out into the world with us. And this is what we see happening all over the world in our politics, in our hospitals, in our medical system, in our schools, everywhere. <clears throat> because we are not actively teaching everybody, children, how to fill themselves up with love. We ourselves are not built bringing love-filled selves into the environment, into the arena. We have to heal ourselves first before we can heal the world. You know, people today are not feeling that they have any power. They're feeling as if they're slaves. So my question is, how do we get to the place of being able to change the world? What do we do? What's our first steps? It starts with changing ourselves one person at a time. I mean, so when, because we are all connected. So let's say if I start with loving myself and if every day I wake up in the morning and I say, what would I be doing today if I did love myself? What would my life look like if I did love myself? And see what comes to you and see how different it is from what you're actually doing. And then ask yourself things like what are, uh, what are five positive things that I can do for myself? Also, another thing, um, oh, what are five positive things about myself? Sorry. Another thing I like to do is I like to introduce uh, one, at least one random act of kindness to myself. And this means something that I would not normally do, whatever it may be. It means actually taking the time to go see that movie I've been meaning to see, but I keep saying, no, I can't go, I don't have time, I have to do this for that person and this for that person. No, you matter too, because you bring yourself to all those people. 
So you have to show yourself that you do matter and you love yourself. And so one random act of kindness for yourself every day, and that kind of rejuvenates yourself. It could be sitting and reading that book and having that cup of tea or soaking in the bathtub, really anything that you feel you don't have time to do but you would love to do. Um, because if the friend or a child of yours or a parent wanted to do something that mattered to them and they called you up, you would drop everything to go do it for them. So why not for you? Um, so, and, and this is the way that you start to realize that you, that you matter. When you start to matter to yourself, what happens is the people around you start to feel it, even without you saying anything, because we are connected. We feel each other's energy. So when you bring a stressed and drained and fearful person with you, whether you're carpooling, whether you're going into work, that is the energy you're bringing into that environment. So it starts with yourself. And then I tell people also is that once you've, once you've started to take care of yourself, now consciously look around to see what you can do for other people. You can, um, you can do one random act of kindness for, for a, a stranger every single day, but make sure you're doing that random act of kindness for yourself because you cannot imagine how many people feel it and feed it off you because we kind of entrain the people around us to... Um, to, if we use the word vibes or vibration, we kind of entrain them to actually operate on our vibes, on our level of vibration. But if their vibes are lower, we sink down to their level. But if we want to raise theirs, we have to consciously bring ourselves up. By, but it's not hard work to bring yourself up. Remember that it's about finding your joy. It's about playing. It's about doing something loving for yourself it's uplifting it's uplifting and we tend to not think about it and then and then sink down into the fear that's the kind of the background lull or hum that's going on around us that the media is spreading and yeah. everyone else is spreading anita i think that we're going through a huge huge shift on the planet right now in that people are going away from me 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 material things and how it's going to make my life so happy into more of the inclusiveness of all humans do you agree this is happening you are absolutely right you're absolutely right on that and i see that happening as well and which is a beautiful gift that is coming out of the the what has been a fear-based system is that a lot of people are moving out of that fear-based system and and people are doing things for other other people a lot more and what happens what i see happening this is just from my perspective is that when we are now allowing ourselves to love ourselves we find that you actually find that when you love yourself you become less selfish and less materialistic the previous generation um, did not love themselves and therefore overcompensate by needing things and needing things to be about me 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 because we need the external world to validate us right 
And whereas when suddenly, because of this whole movement, like we've created a movement where we've realized, no, it's okay. It's okay to love myself. I need to heal myself. And we've gone through a whole movement of healing ourselves. And as we bring these healed selves out into the world, we are performing the service of healing other people. And it's something we want to do because we realize our connection with everyone. So I think it's a beautiful thing that we're seeing coming out of all the fear that's out there, as that's still there, which our press and our politicians seem to perpetuate. Right. So does this mean that we're kind of stepping away from the dogma of religion or dogma of being controlled that we're taking responsibility for our own freedom? We can choose to be free. Yes. It's all based on our mental outlook. Is that correct? I think so. I think so. We are moving away from any kind of dogma, any kind of dogma, at least the people who I seem to attract or my audience seems to be that way, which is why they're attracted to my story and what I speak about. So the ones who um, I seem to be addressing are looking for total liberation, absolute liberation from any kind of dogma, whether it be spiritual dogma, religious dogma, whether it be um, scientific dogma, because hardcore reductionist science is as much a dogma as is um as is fundamental religion so yeah and so is some of the um political Mm -hmm. the beliefs of political parties that can be very dogmatic extreme left extreme right so people are really looking for liberation from all of this and truly truly to liberate yourself You truly have to get in touch with who you are. When you get in touch with who you truly are, what is your authentic self? What is your highest calling? Now, everybody's highest calling ultimately is to serve the whole. But in order to get to that point where you know what your highest calling is, where you truly feel that pull, where you feel buzzed doing what you're doing, and what you're doing is serving the whole, but to get there... It's not about going out and searching your calling or following other people's rules and laws and dogma. It's about turning inward and finding out who am I? What are my strengths? What are the things that, um, what are the things that make my heart sing? What are the things that make me feel joyful? And then it feels like play. It should actually feel like fun and play and it should feel light. It should be something that buzzes you, not something that drains you. Like if you're going in every day and you're feeling drained. Now, there's a good kind of exhausted, which means, um, you know, like somebody who's really called into nursing or firefighting and helping people. You feel exhausted, but there's kind of an exhilarating kind of exhaustion. Mm -hmm. That's a good kind. But there's the other kind of drain which is, oh my God, it's a drudgery. I have to go in again. What I do is draining me. Then you're not following your purpose and your calling and what you came here for. And it's not a matter of going out and searching for it. It's a matter of turning inward. And when you know who you truly are, when you know what brings you joy, what brings you passion, when you get in touch with it, then what is truly yours will come to you. 
it will come to you. And when you follow that highest calling, you will be serving other people. You will be serving the greater good of the whole mm. without even feeling like that you're doing it. What does it, when, in a near-death experience, mm -hmm. are you, you're, you're feeling free. Yes. And then when you come back, isn't it a lot of work to get back to the place where you're feeling that kind of freedom again? Um, yes and no. So let me tell you how it felt like for me. When I first came back, I had one foot on each side. And mm. it, I was euphoric. I was absolutely euphoric. I thought, oh, my God, I know how life is supposed to be lived. And it was like I had, um, I was connected to the other side. And, and. I still, I still am, so I don't want to say was, but I'll tell you the challenge is that where I thought I can shout this from the rooftops, who wouldn't want to hear it? Who wouldn't want to know it? It makes life so much easier. It's so beautiful, and, I'm, and, and it, makes pe it would make people feel so euphoric. But people aren't ready to hear it, nor are they ready to have somebody like that in their societies and in their circles and in their dogmatic religions and beliefs and so on, because it goes against everything that is structured here. And people have invested in those things, invested their time, their money, their beliefs. People get paid for those things. Like, um, I, I view religion completely differently. I don't believe in any form of dogma at all, but I'm very careful that I don't say things to offend people who do follow religion um, because it will, um, you know, because it may be, because it might be more fearful for them if the rug was uh, pulled from under their feet. But uh, more importantly, more important than religion, I don't, um, I don't see illness the same way I used to. And I actually feel that the way our medical system is structured is completely upside down, wrong way around. They have got it so wrong. They oh boy, I agree. Yeah. And yet, um, if when I speak out about it, which I do and I continue and I plan to continue to speak out about it, uh, and a lot of people of course see it when I say it, but but you will have the people who are involved in the medical industry who will debunk me because because there are more people who earn a living from from medicine than get healed from medicine. That is so true. It's it's all about the money. Yeah. And so, and I've talked about this. Sometimes you are healthier when you don't go to the doctor. Exactly. Exactly right. And um, and and so when I came back, I thought everybody would be thrilled to hear this. You know, it's like, oh my God, I'm going to talk about about your illness and how to address it and blah blah blah. And instead, I have medical people saying that I'm dangerous because I'm giving people false hope. And I'm oh. thinking, hey, wait a minute. How come what I'm saying is dangerous, but when you remove hope from people and tell them they only have three months to live and plant that thought in their head and, and, you, and you take all their power away from them, the power to heal, their internal power to heal, you do all that and you make them give their power to you and you feed their heads with these, this kind of information. How come that's not dangerous? 
It is funny. And so to me, that is so back to front. And, and, but I realized that no, people aren't ready to hear what I have to say. Not everybody is. Not everybody, but there is an awakening occurring. Oh, there is. But, but you know, when you say, and so this is in response to the question that when I came back, it's the struggle of trying to fit in. This is the struggle. This is the struggle. It's the waking people up to there is something different. And I know you've been traveling all over the world. And this is the message of what you experienced you're bringing out to the people that um, they are powerful. And you have created a movement that has a huge voice. I'm so grateful. I wanted to talk about Dr. Wayne Dyer, who was your mentor and the person that you toured with and a very, very good friend, uh, which was a dream come true, I can imagine. I know, wasn't it just? (laughs) Having the near-death experience and then having such a close personal friend pass on unexpectedly, what is your take uh, about dr dyer's death and what did you experience because of that well when he when he passed it was a shock to me and i think as much as i know that um that it is beautiful on the other side it's absolutely beautiful on the other side and wayne is doing amazing and he did not go before his time i know all of that and and he has communicated that to me um, but at that moment when he passed or when I got the news that he passed, it was still a shock. And so I want people to know when you lose your loved ones, don't judge yourself as much as you know they've gone to a beautiful place. Don't judge yourself for feeling that grief. Allow it. Just allow that emotion. Um, but, the, the other, but I want to add the other piece to it is that I felt Wayne was done here. And the best thing was that he was not sick when he went because uh, uh, more than a year before that, before his passing. So he passed in 2015. In 2014 and late 13 and 14, we had had conversations because he was not feeling well. And he was telling me he wanted me to take, uh, to actually take over more and more of the things that he was doing and come on stage and spend more time on stage and travel with him because he was getting uh, feeling a little weaker and t- and more tired. And I remember at that time feeling really sad and being prepared for anything to happen. But it passed. He came through it. He actually really started to take care of himself and not just his health, but you know he started to spend more time with his family. His daughter, his beautiful daughter Serena, got a baby, and he got involved with the baby, and and he was just glowing so when i saw him in australia which is which was we went on a tour a two and a half week tour of australia he was the healthiest that i'd ever seen him and he actually said to me he said i'm going to be around for a long time i am feeling better than i felt in years i'm feeling better than even before i got diagnosed with leukemia and his leukemia was gone and that's the other thing his leukemia was gone and he was running and he was swimming every single day we finished that tour of australia and it was four days later when after i got home to la it was four days after i got home from australia after saying bye to wayne 
that I got the phone call from his assistant, from his manager, Maya, who said, who just tearfully, she said to me, Wayne's gone. He, he left this morning. And I just couldn't mm. believe it. And, but yet later when I thought about it, that was the best time to go because he was just, you know, in his prime. He didn't, he didn't deteriorate. He just went when he felt great. And, and then what I started to sense, which I feel was a direct communication from Wayne, was that he was done here. He had reached as many people as he could from the limited physical perspective. Mm. He is a teacher. He's always been a teacher. Now he's teaching everybody here from the other realm. And he's able to teach everybody at the same time. They don't have to go to his events. They don't. He doesn't have to be physically anywhere he can communicate with people all the time and he can communicate with more people at the same time and this has been confirmed by the number of people that have come to me that have said they have um they have had signs which they know were from wayne they've heard voices which they know were from wayne the other thing that's happened is that for me since wayne has passed I felt that the events when, where I speak at have been very different. I, I seem to um, say very different things, and it almost feels like I'm being guided by Wayne. And so, and so many people have commented to me that, that, it, that my speeches are, I don't, don't even like calling them speeches, they almost feel... They almost feel channeled because I don't even know what I'm going to say and I don't know what I've said after the fact. But um, a lot of people have commented how they've changed and the energy is very different since Wayne has passed. So I feel he's helping me from the other realm. But he's also helping a lot of people. And of course, he's there for his, his family and his children and his grandchildren. I've been doing a little bit of research on uh, Dr. Dyer and his experiences of life after life. And what I've noticed is that if I can just be quiet and think of him, even think of him sitting on the sofa across from my desk, I can be in contact with him. There is no time-space limitations. We are connected and that I can get and still get answers from him as if he was on PBS. <laughs> yes, he's going to be there and you will have access to his wisdom. And here's the best part when I say he's not limited to time and space. He is not only sitting there with you as we're having this conversation, he's also sitting here with me. He's able to even get, if he has a message, that he wants the audience to hear, he's able to get it across to both of us at the same time. You know, amazingly, I was, um, it's so funny. I have his book on my desk, The Power of Intention. And I'm looking in the book, I'm saying, I want to find this passage that he talked about there. And I want to kind of discuss it with him to find out what's going on. And yesterday I went through the entire book and couldn't find the passage. So just for the heck of it, I picked it up and I opened it directly to the passage that I've been looking for. And it's right there. I didn't shuffle through it. I picked up the exact page. So it's like, <laughs> okay, there's, 
there was a message in that. He is saying, yeah, let's talk about that. Yes, he is. And and I'll tell you something else that's really also that's that's kind of fun and interesting is that um, quite a few months before he died, it might have been a year before, he called me up and it really excited. He called me up and he told me about this this book, The Impersonal Life or The Impersonal You. You know, it's a little book. Um, and I forgot the name of the author. And he said, and he was like so excited that he discovered it. So excited. And he said, it was published back in the 1940s. I've just read it from cover to cover. And he said, nothing has got me this excited since I read your NDE, since somebody gave me your NDE. And he said, nothing has got me this excited. I want you to read it. I want you to find it on the internet, download it, whatever you do, just get it and uh, read it and and call me back and tell me what you think of it. So I went on the internet and I and I found a, you know an e-version of it. I got it. I got the e-version and I started reading it. And it's it's a small, it's not a very long book. And I could see exactly why he was excited about it. It was written back in the 1940s and it was about uh, it was written by a guy who chose to be anonymous because he belonged to the church. But he and he was a, a um, I think a, a reverend or a rabbi or something, a reverend, and he had had a spiritual experience, and his spiritual experience went against everything that was taught in the Catholic Church. So he couldn't admit it. He couldn't admit it. So he had written it all down, and he had set the story free um, and without putting his name on it, completely anonymous. Now, interestingly... That is exactly what I had done when I had my near-death experience, and I wanted to shout it from the rooftops, and I was getting this pushback from medical and people, and I thought, oh, okay, this is not going to be as easy as I thought. So I wrote it all out, and I put it on a website on NDEs, and I set it free, and I didn't put my full name on it, and I thought, whoever gets attracted to it will get attracted to it. And it was really amazing how many similarities Wayne had found between that story and mine, which is why he really wanted me to read it. And then Wayne started carrying that book with him everywhere, that little book, and quoting from it and everything. And um, and in fact, I've, I've got a copy right here, but that's not the end of the, uh, the story. So, so what subsequently happened, though, is that you know this became Wayne one of Wayne's favorite books the impersonal it's called the impersonal life and so um, so after he passed away very shortly after he passed away a lady who he knows her name is Anne Berube um, I was meeting her because I was doing an event which she was organizing. She's a Canadian and she used to organize Wayne's events in Canada. And then when I was in Canada and I met her and she came up to me, she handed me a small package and she said, and because she knew Wayne personally as well, she had known Wayne and he had passed, she had organized his events. She gave me the small package and she said, I don't know why, but I felt Wayne wanted me to gift this to you. And I opened the package, and it was a copy of the little book, The Impersonal Life, which she had purchased for me. And I didn't have an, an actual copy. Mine was in my, in my iPad. It was a downloaded version. So I thought, how interesting. Wayne wanted me to have this. And this was his favorite book. 
So then what I did was just randomly, I just flipped it open on a page. And it was something that I needed to hear in that moment. And so I realized, oh my God, this is Wayne's way of communicating with me in a more, um, in a more direct and hard way instead of just the kind of messages and whispers that you get. And I thought, this is so interesting. And every time I flip open the book, I just flip, I don't read it from back to, uh, from cover to cover. I flip it open at random and I feel it's a message from Wayne. But the other day what happened is that I got a call from um, Colette Baron-Reed, who was, right. you know, she was doing a, a video series and she said to me that, you know, I've just done this video series and I felt that, that it was missing somebody. She was doing interviews, like a series of interviews and um, with different people like John Holland and, and other people. And she said, you know, there was something niggling in me that it was missing. It needed one more person. And she said that um, somebody gave me a copy of that book, The Impersonal Life. And somehow while I was, uh, you know, she said, She's, this is, this is going to sound really weird. She said um, that after she had seen me in Toronto that day, the, speaking in Toronto, she had meant to contact me about something, and she and she wanted to write that down as a reminder. So she, the only thing she had in her purse was a copy of that book, The Impersonal Life. So she wrote it in there, in that book that contact Anita, and then she forgot about it. So there she was thinking about um, that. Okay, who else can I get for this video series? It still needs somebody. And this book, The Impersonal Life, falls, uh, falls down and opens on the page where it says, Contact Anita, here's her details. <laughs> and she said, and when, when that happened to her, she said, she felt it was Wayne telling her to call me. And I said, it so was because he uses that book to communicate with me. <laughs> oh, my goodness gracious. And, and I said, that was Wayne saying, Colette get on it call Anita <laughs> wow I have to go look for that book I am just it sounds fantastic the impersonal the impersonal life l-i-f-e and it is by a guy because he's got his name on it now I think it's somebody Brenna but if you look up the impersonal life it's a very small book but get the Get the actual book. Don't download the ebook because then you can flip it open. Oh, okay. Okay. But having said that, we definitely have got to get your new book because, boy, that's going to break us away from our limiting beliefs <laughs> into healing. Um, you know, it's time we start treating life as if we are living in heaven and not powerless yes and i think that's the huge message of it all isn't it that is the biggest message in there is that is that you don't have to wait until you die to learn how to live you know it's a wasted life if you think that all your rewards are going to be there no it's here create your joy here um, you're connected to everyone and it's a transcend the fear by by increasing love love for yourself, love for everyone around you. Love is the solution to every, every problem in the world. When I was in the other realm, I realized that heaven is a state 
It's not a place. It's a wow. state. And we can create that same state here while we're in this physical body. And it's a wasted life if we don't do that. Amazing. In this time of chaos on the planet, the, the answer is so easy. It's that we have got to start considering that this is heaven and we are the ones that make heaven on earth. It's just rephrasing or redoing the way that we're thinking. Yes, and the most important thing is to know, each of us has to know we are more powerful than we believe we are, but we give our powers our power away. We give it yes. away to politicians, to leaders, to teachers, to, to, um, uh, to our doctors, but we don't have to. We really, truly are powerful. And I'm going to um, say something here again that again could be a little bit provocative but i truly believe that um spiritual people who are spiritual who believe people who follow a more spiritual path we have a belief that uh we have to kill our egos i believe this is the reason why the world is in a mess we have to embrace our egos because our ego is what allows us to share our gifts and what's happening is that the people who um, who have the at the moment the way the world is right now, the people who have the biggest egos are the ones who are not who are not thinking of what's best for the planet. So so what is actually currently happening is that the the most um, the most spiritual amongst us, or the most aware, consciously aware amongst us are not stepping up into leadership roles because they are not actually developing a healthy ego that allows them to take such roles so that they can help everyone else. And I hope what I said just makes sense. I don't know if I articulated it in the way I mean it. Um, I think I, I realize what you're saying. So I have a question to follow up. Yes. Usually when people take leadership positions if they don't have that strong spiritual backing they are going to be the ones controlled yes and they're going to strip other people's power away because they don't have the foundation they don't love themselves enough so they need other people to validate them they are going yeah. to use that leadership role to strip everyone else's power away and i'm not just i'm not directing this at any one I'm not saying it's the government I'm not saying it's it's any one particular thing but because we are not aware this is happening in many areas of our lives but if right. everybody learned to love themselves first if we learn to love ourselves first we would not need validation from other people we would not need to we would not need to strip other people's power away plus if you loved yourself you would not allow anyone else to strip your power away but if you love yourself and then you also allowed yourself to take a leadership role the problem is many people who are spiritually aware <clears throat> tend to shirk away from leadership we need people who are spiritually aware to stand up and take leadership roles because what that does is that is empowering the people. Give the power back to the individuals. 
not mm-hmm. and and because that is what i want to tell everyone you are powerful you are powerful beyond belief um, don't give your power away not to anyone of course there are teachers and healers and you can go to them but remember they are just training wheels the power to heal is within you and if you go to any teacher any healer any guru any medical doctor anybody if they strip you of your power and make you feel that you need them and you cannot live or survive without them um then they're not doing what they're there to do that's what i want people to know that is powerful that is so correct oh my goodness very well put and something each and every one of us needs to hear time and time again anita this has been fantastic absolutely fantastic i thoroughly enjoyed it um i want to send everybody to um do i send them to hay house to get the deep meditating for healing and the new um so audio the new book absolutely hay house and the old meditation healing also hay house um but my new cd which hasn't come out yet uh, has been is being um created by another uh, another organization it's a co-collaboration with a musician Barry Goldstein Ooh. who has created the music very specifically for healing so that should st- soon be available on Amazon and it is called Heaven an experiential journey but the book is available for pre-order right now and also um i can have my people send you a link of where people can go to order the book great yes do that but in the meantime you can go to hay house just go to hayhouse.com and put in anita's name and everything comes up underneath her it's it's really it's w- quite easy so then you can just uh punch away and get all of the things <laughs> As usual, I mean, Dying to Be Me is a phenomenal book that I, I thoroughly recommend to everyone. And then, What If This Is Heaven? Oh, my goodness. This, this is just fantastic. Wow, what a blessing to this world you are, Anita. Thank you so much. Oh, always a pleasure, Jules. Always a pleasure talking to you. I, I have thoroughly enjoyed it, and um, you, you're, um, you're on the cover of Law of Attraction magazine, and it is getting rave reviews. They just love you there. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to push everyone to go read the magazine as well, where she did a, an article for us, and um, it's wonderful. I especially love the thought that what's the meaning of life? Well, how about a box of chocolates? (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Of course. That is what heaven is. (laughs) Exactly right. And don't make it complicated. Have fun. Find your joy. And and you're good to go. (laughs) It's wonderful. Anita, thank you so much for coming on and talking with us today. Thank you for inviting me, Jules. And to all my wonderful listeners, have a wonderful week. And remember to just turn that boat downstream and float. Surrender and start feeling your power. Have a great one. Bye for now. 
Thank you so much for joining us. We'll be back next week with another great show from Law of Attraction Talk Radio. If you'd like to comment on tonight's show, send an email to jules at loaradionetwork.com and have a great week.